probably still too close, but we'll see. So hopefully at the at least I can't hear it ring. Amen. Can I get a witness? Any? Oh, um, I was trying to remember back when I uh, prepared this sermon originally. I've uh, stored up, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, about 500 sermons, somewhere in somewhere in that neighborhood. I didn't actually. I do have. I am busy enough that I didn't try to count every single one of them. Um, but uh, but I did give a rough estimate, and it's it's somewhere in that neighborhood, which is pales in comparison to some who have preached all their life. I've been the great beneficiary of some great men of God who have uh, shared their libraries with me. Uh, there's there's notes where they have mined the scriptures over the years, and it's just an absolute treasure. They're irreplaceable. They're uh, can't be uh, reproduced in many cases, and I'm grateful. This sermon I I wrote uh, and prepared several years back uh, because I was needing to prepare an occasion, what would be referred to as an occasional sermon. Uh, in other words, that it relates to something that is currently happening or something that a situation that took place. Um. And what that was was an encounter with someone who was very passionate about uh, the pro-life movement and uh, wanted me to be as passionate as they were. And, and quite honestly, I just hadn't ever really, I mean, I knew from a very basic level that God's Word instructs us that uh, murder is wrong, uh, thou shalt not kill. Uh, so I had never really thought about it a whole lot deeper than that, that if, if whatever we're doing is is causing a life to, to end, uh, then uh, that's just, it's wrong. It, I did, I, so I didn't ever go any deeper than that with the notion. But, but this person challenged me to consider exactly why life is sacred. And, uh, and we're at a time of the year, if you don't know, that uh, it is uh, uh, the time of year when in our country uh, Roe v. Wade was, was passed Oh, by the way, turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going a little out of order here, I guess. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, yes, uh, there, a couple of young ladies have sermon note pages for you. They'll pass those out. If you didn't get one earlier, be sure and get one from them now as they're coming around. I'm catching up to Pastor BJ pretty soon. I'm going to be off the page and onto the screen. That's when I'll know I'm making... But for now, for tonight, this is Sermon Notes Unplugged, okay? <laughs> I'll give you a minute to, for the ladies to distribute those, but Genesis chapter 1, we'll be focusing in on verse 27, just one verse tonight. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27 simply says this, and uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Father, we, uh, we so desperately need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds. Uh, you tell us in your word that your thoughts and your ways are higher than ours. 
So if we are to really connect with you and to really grasp what you are trying to say to us and your will for our lives, then uh, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to make clear, to make known your plan and your purpose for our lives. We thank you for what is contained within your Holy Word. Help us in these next few moments. Help me to be faithful in the call that you've given me to rightly divide the Word. But I pray above all that anything that I might say that your Holy Spirit would make application where it needs to be made and would clearly point to truth as only uh, you can offer it and deliver it. We trust you to be faithful to all that you have promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe you've had this experience and maybe you haven't. Have you, uh, have you ever seen, and at least from appearances, and those can be uh, very short on telling the whole story, but at least from appearances, an apparently healthy driver pull into a parking space that's marked handicapped. Um, that happened to me one time at a grocery store. Now, there's a whole big conversation we could get into there. But uh, if you just take appearances at face value, and that's sadly what I did in that moment, uh, a bit of indignation rose up in me. How could someone do that? Take advantage of uh, clearly marked parking space. They, they shouldn't behave that way. I have to tell you that uh, I was humbled in about two minutes because uh, they went inside, and when they came back out, they were pushing a wheelchair. Um, and I remembered a lesson. <laughs> uh, we are so quick to judge when the Word tells us, don't be quick to judge. We don't know the story. Uh, here's the thing, though, that I thought about in relation to... Uh, where we are in these days when it comes to the sacredness of life, at least in our country. Anyway, I hope not many here can uh, identify with this, but I think a lot of people would resound with that, that sure, if, some, if someone appears to be misusing something that's meant to help others in need, then we would feel terrible about that. Uh, some, if, a, if a charity misuses funds that are given to them, a handicapped parking space that's used by someone who has no handicap whatsoever. Uh, if, if there's that kind of abuse and that kind of misuse, we, we would be pretty quick to condemn that person for that action. It's amazing to me then how we, in our culture though, we struggle with condemning those who would condone the killing of life, both unborn and life that has reached what we would think of as twilight years, and sadly, what many would say, well, it's reached a place where quality is gone, and, and, and everything that really would make life everything it should be has been used up. These are choices that we've come to label in our country and in our world as abortion and euthanasia. They happen every single day at alarming rates. I I had kind of let myself get pulled away from, uh, from this issue, quite honestly. Um, and uh, I went back, and as I began to look at current statistics, I was just absolutely shocked uh, 
at, at the numbers by the thousands daily in our country. And those are just the ones we know about. Nowhere near the ones unreported that we never, that we never know about. There's a startling parallel between the way people look at life and the way people look at life that will, or at least they're told, will never work. Don't even attempt it. This is not a good start. This is not a way to get things going. You don't have a good foundation for a, a fruitful, quality, beautiful life. So don't even start it. Just throw it away and try again. Or a life that's old and broken down, throw it away. It's used up its usefulness. It's only a drain on resources now. It's not contributing in a meaningful way to society. So here we sit tonight uh, in just a couple days, January the 22nd, 1973. We were warned more than 45 years ago that abortion was the, would be the beginning of a slippery slope that would lead us as a society to devalue all of human life. And that has come true in so many places, in so many ways. People, people weren't convinced back then, though. And sadly, too many aren't now. But yet, here we sit, 45 years later, and numerous laws have been passed in our nation and in our states that support the killing of life at both ends before it's ever come into this world and before God has ever chosen to say, come home. Why? Why is, why is it so hard for us to comprehend a simple and yet profound truth that Job uttered with words that have rang down through the centuries? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We, we're, we, we can register that first part, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. We get hung up on that last part, blessed be the name of the Lord. If anything that happens in our life runs crossways to what we feel like we deserve or, or we should be entitled to, it's very easy for us to question the one who is the very author of life. Why? In some ways, this issue isn't just simply one more political issue. It's, it's an issue that is at the very bedrock and very foundation of anything else we could talk about. Because if, if we can devalue, and I, and I think this is where we can see that Satan's hand is behind this, if we can devalue life itself, then what meaning does anything else have? If we can get to a place and a state in our mind that says a human life is expendable, it can be thrown away at will, it can be terminated for, for just about any cause, and our hearts can be hardened against that, then, then, then how easy is it to, to slip and slide on any other basic truth? People, you see, I think one of the reasons is because we... It's, it's pride. It's selfishness. People think their answers, their solutions, their viewpoints are at least equal to, if not superior, to God's. We should get to decide which unborn children should be given an opportunity at life. We should decide when someone's life is no longer useful enough or of sufficient quality 
be allowed to continue. And lest we think this happens in every other place but where we are, I, can, I don't even like to think about how many times I've witnessed these very issues come across my plate no more times than I'm involved in hospitals and decisions that people are making. These are real, everyday matters. And life is being thrown away for mere convenience. For mere convenience. I've witnessed it. It's heartbreaking. Meanwhile, God's heart, at least what we find in Isaiah 55, aches and sighs when he thinks to himself, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My, my ways are higher than your ways. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So if we're not careful, it becomes not just an issue of life and death, but also an issue of submission. Am I truly submitted and surrendered to the will of God? Moses would, would speak on behalf of God as a prophet to the people and say many, many years ago and echo a, a sentiment that would ring all throughout Scripture. Today I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and the commandment of God, choose life. It, it doesn't get any simpler. It's not an issue that we have to say, let's hold a theological summit and debate this through and see if we can come to a consensus about what Scripture actually says. All human life is sacred. All, all of it, all human life is sacred to God. It's sacred, and these are words that you have there in your notes, all life is sacred because God made it. Seems simple, but it's, it's absolutely profound. It was created by God. Genesis 1.27 here, we've already read it. And God created man in His own image. God didn't just simply want to make random human beings. He wanted to impart something of Himself into every single person. It is, it is, it is a realistic truth and fact of Scripture that when you look at another person, no matter what their story is, there is something within them that gives you a small picture of God Himself. Think about that. It, there's something within you. and if, if, if Every time I meet a new person, I'm getting one more snapshot of the image of God. He's, he's invested something into every single one of us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for, for in Him all things were created. When uh, Sarah and I lived in Nashville, we visited a pl place called Cloverbottom. The church would try to reach out and minister there. Uh, I, think I've, I think I've talked about this place before, but so to abbreviate all of it, it was simply a place where individuals with, with gross physical deformities and mental deformities, and I mean very, very, uh, to the point of some of them were in a physical state where you really almost questioned, is that a human being or not? Uh, arms and legs weren't discernible. Eyes, mouth, nose, you, you just couldn't hardly. It was 
uh, it was frightening at first, shocking at first. And there would be stories from, from those who worked there and loved these individuals and did everything they could do to try to nurture them and connect with them and feed them and care for them and provide for them of how their families had said, God wouldn't make something like that. Quote, You see who we put on the throne when we do things like that? God's not God. I am. I, I should get to take the place of saying this, this is good and this isn't. God shouldn't have the domain over that. If it pleases me, then it's okay. If it doesn't, then it... Again, it's, it comes back to submission. All life is sacred because God created it. All life is sacred because it is protected by God. Job chapter 10, verse 12, and, and thy care has preserved my spirit. God's care for me. I've seen life slip away when, from a human body when every medical opinion would say that it, it shouldn't happen. Everything that we've learned through hundreds of years of education about the human body. And there would be an undeniable presence of a force that was both giving life and taking it away. I've watched it play out. I've, I've listened and, and heard the, the, the strain of medical professionals who, who would say there's, there, no matter how much we learn and no matter how much we strive, there are, there's still a mystery to the human body. There's still limitations that we don't fully understand, things that we're trying to get a better handle on. We're just doing the very best we know to do with where we're at today. And I honor those who serve in this in the profession of our, our medical field, we, they, they do things that are, with God's help, nothing short of miraculous. But God protects life itself. The psalmist writes in Psalm 91.11, For He will give His angels charge concerning you. Now, we can translate that to picturing Jesus, but Jesus said that every, everything that I have is yours. So if God's given His angels charge over Him to protect Him and to, Guard him, guess what? He's given his angels charge over us. There's God's protective hand upon us. All life is sacred because it is valued by God. Isaiah 49, 16, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That one creates a little struggle when you're having to have that conversation with your Teenager about tattoos. You get, I've had that one thrown at me before. Uh, we can talk about that some other time. That's a whole other thing. Jeremiah thirty-one three. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Did you know that when God looks at you, He doesn't just simply say, "I've I've I've I've, I've invested enough in you, and I've I'm caring about you enough to get you from the cradle to the grave." Oh no. You see, God has a better capacity than we do to say, your life came into being here, put whatever birth date you have in there. But I see you long past the day you take your last breath in this world. You have an eternity ahead of you. An eternity, you have a forever out there ahead of you. There was a time when you were not. There will never be a time when you are not. Whether in heaven or in hell, there is an eternity set before every single one of us. 
But he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before I formed you... Uh, this, one, this one gets past where my eight pounds of gray matter can, can handle it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were ever two cells, dividing into four, dividing into eight, dividing into 16, dividing into 32, and that's as far as my math can go. Before that ever began in your physical body, I knew you. I just, Fred, I just don't, I don't have it between the ears enough to get a hold of that. John chapter 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. Life. There's, there's no way that you can talk about the character of God and say that there's any room whatsoever for death. It's just life. It's life. Even in the face of death, it's life. If, if, when death comes to these mortal bodies, it's, it's life. He wants to give life. His will for us is life. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And on a spiritual level, we understand that even a person who's walking around using up oxygen is not really living until they have experienced the life-changing transformation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's when they really begin to live, not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level. Have you ever created something yourself? Woodworking? Uh, maybe you've made something out of clay? Needlework? I don't... I don't I don't know. Have you have you ever made something? You, you you got the concept in your head, and maybe a teacher or someone. It was a project or whatever. But 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 you formed the vision in your mind of what it was going to be, or at least what you hoped it would be when you completed it, and you set to work using whatever the resources were that you had chosen or that you had at your disposal, and you began to cut and poke and push and prod and form and shape and until maybe it turned out the way you thought it would or hoped it would and maybe it didn't but it, at the very least it was something you made it was something you fashioned my mom keeps a vase in our home vase vase i don't i don't know what that is um it's uh it's only been dry killed it's been put in uh, it's it was uh it was clay that uh, I was in an art class, and we had to make something. Now, guys, you'll relate to this if you're like me at all. I, I would have rather just been taken out and beaten. I mean, I just, uh, you know, just uh, than to, oh, let's make something beautiful with this clay. I, did, uh, I, had, I had no impulse to want to do that whatsoever. So... The most I could work up was I'll go through the motions, and when I think the teacher's looking, I'll at least look like I'm busy. And I'll... Well, the more I played around with uh, the clay there on the spinning wheel, I had all kinds of imaginations of how, I, how many ways I could get in trouble with that clay, uh, but I restrained myself at least to that regard, and then I began to kind of get into it a little more and work with that clay, and, and I actually had managed to to begin to open it, hollow it out a little bit and begin to form something that looked like a vase. 
It was, I was surprising myself as time. I was like, I might actually be doing this. This is, uh, this is pretty neat. And I, I, don't, I don't have it clear in my mind exactly what caused it. I think either the teacher spooked me or a, or a classmate or somebody that, that thought I was doing better than they were and they wanted to make sure we were kept on the same level. Anyway, whatever, whatever it was, at, when I was about ready to take my hands off of it and say, there, that's at least something. Okay. When I was right at that moment, some, something caused me to go, like that. That's all it took. That's all it took. And, and it wound up this deformed, funny-looking, I, I, I don't know, and I got the wheel stopped before it just flung and went everywhere. And, and I thought to myself, well, at least I've got something. You know, I, I, it's probably an F, but, you know, hey, A for effort maybe? I don't know. Uh, and and uh, I took that, and the teacher, she actually was like, well, that, I think her word was interesting. That's what you say when you're, right, when you want to be kind, but you know better. Or, uh, it's, inter- it's, it's interesting. Grandparents, can I get how many how many interesting things do you have around your home? <laughs> uh, so anyway, we took that, we put it in the dry kiln. We ran out of time. I didn't even get to do all the what's it called where you put glazing? Is that is that anyway? All this stuff to decorate it, and I just basically took home the the the, the clay vase, dried out, hard as a rock, with all with my hand grip print sort of right in there. To this day. My mom keeps it in a prized place. She sees great value in it. I look at it and say, that was a mistake. That was nothing more than a mistake. But it bears my image. It bears my handprints. So it's valuable to her. Now here's the thing. This is so profound. Don't miss it. You're not a mistake. Nobody you've ever met was a mistake. May not have looked like you. May look a lot different. May have more or less than you have. But they're not a mistake. And to the one who formed them and fashioned them, they are priceless. They are priceless. If, if we could see God's heart for every person, we would feel differently than we sometimes speak about in words or we at at least we would be so guarded in being willing to throw it away at least it would it would it it would have to go through the most arduous task to even come close to saying maybe maybe this isn't worth sustaining we it would be the, probably the furthest thing from our mind my hope would be that it would it would be that we would say regardless of whether this, this person can contribute to the world or regardless of whether they have value or they're, they're going to be a hindrance or there's disease or there's a problem or there's a struggle, what we know at a very basic level is that they were formed and fashioned by the hand of God. And that in and of itself. I mean, you, you just th- think about it this way with me. If I could bring you an object and place it in your hands and say to you, God Himself made this. God Himself, with His own hands, God fashioned this and formed this 
and created this. Here it is. How valuable would that be to you? And yet, how many of you have ever held a child? How many of you have ever held the hand of another person at any time in your life? Guess what? Formed and fashioned by the hand of God Himself. Life. The value of life. Now, at the same time, let's, let's keep this honest, if you will. There's challenges. There are challenges to life. Life is sacred. This is another point in your notes there. Life is sacred no matter what its condition might be. No matter what its condition might be. Life is, life is a challenge in a sin-tainted world. It, it would be wonderful if God's original plan had materialized for every single person, but unfortunately sin came into our world and with it came pain and imperfection and injustice on and on and on. God warned us of these challenges and He, he enables those who trust Him to be, be victorious even in the midst of them. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. John chapter 16, verse 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We shouldn't overlook those who have challenges in this life. Jesus, if you go back and read through the Gospels, you'll see that, that one of the characteristics of Jesus is that he, he always had a special concern for those who were struggling in life. The, the lame, the blind, the woman with the issue of blood, the lepers. And in our day, we should ha have that same kind of concern. Oh, it's easier to just pass it off and say, poor them. Jesus stopped did what He could. In His case, He's the Savior of the world, so He could provide everything they needed. But we ought to at least do what we can. The, the, the woman in crisis confronted with an unplanned pregnancy or abnormal embryo development, such as Down syndrome. Here's one that might be a little hard for you to take. Some studies report that as many as 90% of couples who are faced with an amniocentesis report of probable Down syndrome will choose to abort. Well, I hope that's not true. 90%? On a probable report? And yet, if you've ever known anybody who was the parent of a, or the sibling of a Down syndrome child, they would testify to you something like this. I tell you, that child is the light of our life. They are an absolute joy. The most loving and, yes, frustrating, but the most loving person we have ever known. They live life with a genuine truth that few of us ever are able to have a capacity for in life. What about the post-abortive woman who struggles with the reality that she consented to what seems to amount to her baby's death. Or the post-abortive father who 
walked away from the reality of his sin. Just couldn't handle it. Turned a blind eye. It happens. What about the terminally ill or the aged who have been forgotten or who have outlived many of their family and friends? The disabled, the disadvantaged, the unable to provide a meaningful income for themselves, and so they are quickly labeled a drain on society. Pastor and author Max Lucado tells in his book, The Applause of Heaven, about a sweater that hangs in his closet. He says he seldom wears it. It's too small. The sleeves are too short. The shoulder's too tight. Some of the buttons are missing. The thread is frazzled. Logically, he says, he should throw out that sweater since it has no use, he has no use for it, and it will never, he will never wear it again. It simply takes up space in his closet. That's what logic says. But love, he reports, won't let him. Why not? What's unusual about that sweater? To start with, it has no label, no tag telling you wash in cold water. That's because it wasn't made in a factory, produced on an assembly line as the product of a nameless employee earning a living. Rather, it was the creation of a devoted mother expressing her love, his mother. That sweater is unique. One of a kind, irreplaceable. Each strand was chosen with care, each thread selected with affection. And so, even though that sweater has lost all of its use, it has lost none of its value. There's the difference. Maybe, maybe you could clearly declare, there's no use. But you should never be able to look at another individual and say, no value. No value. It is valuable not because of its function or its ability, but because of its maker. And so is each life. So is each life. The lonely and emotionally distraught, Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you have done it unto me. Can you see Jesus in every person you meet? Can you see the potential to be serving Him in the face of every person that you meet? When I finally got a hold of this, at least a little bit of what this, I think, means and the implications of it, it has changed my life. It has made it almost impossible for me unless I just cannot humanly assist someone or help someone, it's made it almost impossible for me to say no to someone. Now, many would judge that as, well, you're a foolish person. Okay, okay. As Paul would say, if I'm out of my mind, I'm out of my mind for the Lord. But I just, uh, and I've prayed often, God, help me to see Jesus in every person. Because once upon a time, I was, and, I, and, and in many regards, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm still, I'm still not very lovable, I'm not... I'm, I'm, I guess you could say I'm pretty messed up when you really give the final analysis. But He loves me anyway. Forgives me anyway. He sees value in me. How could I do anything less with all of His creation? Our Lord placed great value on those whom society had shuffled aside. I think He just waited when He saw the people around Him say, Jesus, don't bother with them, children. People who were diseased, or like, Jesus, they're, they're just a, a waste of your... I think he just waited for those moments to say, right there's a problem. 
I'm going to correct that. I'm going to show you a different example. And you can see it over and over again. While, while on his knees, the leper begged Jesus to make him clean. The Bible says, filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And today, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. The great commandment, the great commission. Love your neighbor. Let me tell you a, a challenge that was presented to me earlier this week. I've told a couple of you. Um, I received a, a call asking that we pray for uh, uh, Jared, Kirk, and them. They, they had a barn that was so laden with snow that it was threatening to collapse. And uh, so uh, that's we wanted to be faithful to that, and we were glad to know and glad to be able to pray. And, and so I prayed, and immediately one of my precious daughters, after I informed them of this situation, said, we could also help them. Now, I'd love to tell you I was sanctified through and through in that moment and said, you betcha, can't wait. But here's what I did think. Yeah, praying is, is important and has a place. But if I have the capacity to take it one step further, shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I'm sure thankful my brother Doug had gone ahead of me and prepared some ropes and some things, so uh, I was uh, safe. And <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there's, there's the thing. It, uh, I'm not saying that everybody needed to be. I didn't really probably in reality didn't have any business up on that barn, but I wanted to help. And I hope I was a help. I, <laughs> I may have had the rest of them praying, Lord, please let us get him down from here without. He's such a, <laughs> such a good soul. Protect him until we can get him back down on the ground. <laughs> He's, oh, my goodness. But we can, help. we can do what we can. Some people would say, well, I can't, I, can't, I can't intervene in that situation and fix the problem. I can't step into that person's life and, and just completely take it. No, you can't, but there's probably something you can do. There's probably some way you can be of help. Be of, there's probably some way you can demonstrate that I see your life as sacred. The last thing, one of the last things there in your notes is this. Life is sacred because of its eternal nature. Life exists before we enter into the material world, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, the psalmist writes. There is life at new birth. John 3, verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Our earthly life is simply a prelude to eternity. How often do you think about it that way? Hebrews 9, 27, man is destined to die once, and after that, the judgment. John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. you got a lot to live for. You know what I would hate to have happen to me? I, and, and I think back and I ask God for forgiveness when some... some Encounters come to my mind. I would sure dread getting to heaven and spotting someone in the distance and say, you look kind of familiar. Do I know you? I say, yeah. Once upon a time, I asked for some help. You didn't have time. You were busy. 
I'd ask you once before. I know that's a heavy. I know that's a heavy one. I get it. I get it. That's you know that puts it on us at a level of oh, no, we, we can't be all things to all people at all times and all. I get it, but we can be faithful with every opportunity that God puts in front of us. We can be faithful with the opportunities He puts in front of us. There are steps of to life eternal. You know, it's not an automatic, at least not a life in heaven, eternal. We do have to, according to God's Word, acknowledge that we are helpless sinners separated from God, Romans 3.23. We do have to agree that Jesus Christ is the only provision for our salvation, John chapter 1, verse 12. We do have to receive Christ as our Savior and ask Him to come into our heart, Romans 10.9. Well, here's the main point. All of life is valuable. All of life is valuable. Because God creates it, He sustains it in His own image and for His purpose. His sacred image and His sacred purpose. Those are His ways, which Isaiah tells us are so much higher than ours. You know what I'm thankful for? God never said, I have called you to understand everything. Never said that. He said, I have called you to have faith. Trust me. I don't know about you, but I've given way too much time in my life to try and understand all of God's ways. God, if I could just figure this out. No, no, no. Back up one step from there and just have faith. Trust me. I didn't call you to understand it all. I didn't call you to have it all make sense for you. That's my role. I'm God. Okay? Parents, you ever played that role with your kids? I didn't ask you to understand. I asked you to walk in obedience. I didn't ask you to have it figured out. I asked you to trust me. God the Father. I didn't ask you to understand it all. I didn't ask you to make, have it all make sense. I asked you to trust me. I love you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. And where you think there is no plan and there is no purpose, I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Just surrender. Give it, give it over to me. It's too much for you. Don't try to carry it. All life is valuable. And deliberately violating God's ways is a biblical definition of sin. It just, just is. James says, To him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him that is sin. I knew in that moment what I should have done, and I chose to do something different. Well, guess what? You had a choice. You had a choice. And there's only one effective way to deal with sin. Confess it. Repent of it. Choose to turn away from it. Learn your lesson. Move on. God is calling us to confess that we have not followed His ways and repent from only following our ways, the things we can figure out, the things that make sense, the things that we can understand, the things that we can get behind and support. Rather than saying, if God has ordained it, whether I can clearly wrap my mind around it or not, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to go with Him. I'm going with the one that loves me. All life is valuable. Whether you think so or not, whether somebody else can see it or not, God has said, it's valuable. It's valuable. Would you stand with me tonight?
I like to think that when God puts upon my heart or impresses upon me to preach a message that I'm not the most excited in the world necessarily about preaching, that it's because His ways are higher than our ways, and somewhere along this next week or two weeks or three weeks or a month ahead, somebody somewhere, myself, somebody in this room, somebody hearing this message somewhere sometime is going to say, boy, there it is, I needed that. I didn't know it at the time, didn't expect it, kind of thought, boy, this is a little out there, but it just came right down to where I was at, right there in that moment. It's, it's, it's like God knew on Thursday where I'd be, what I'd be doing, who I'd be talking to, what would be going on. And long before I ever got there, He'd already prepared the way. He'd already set it before me. So that's what I'm trusting. Sing this chorus with me. If you know it, well, I won't trouble our musicians to come up. I think we can, we can do it. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to Your will and to Your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust You and obey. When Your Spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. One more time, make it your prayer tonight. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to Your will and to Your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust You and obey. When Your Spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Father, thank You for the value You see in us and the value You call us to see in every life that is precious to You. May we go out and see people with your eyes, and see every life as you see it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.